0: Before I was a civil rights leader, I was a preacher of the gospel. This was my first calling, and, I, and it still remains my greatest commitment. You know, actually, all that I do in civil rights, I do because I consider it a part of my ministry. I have no other ambitions in life but to achieve excellence in the Christian ministry. I don't plan to run for any political office. I don't plan to do anything but remain a preacher. And what I'm doing in this struggle, along with many others, grows out of my feeling that the preacher must be concerned about the whole man. There are a number of things that struck me in that, but this idea of our being concerned with the whole person really leapt out to me. And I think it's because he's saying it, because God is concerned with the whole person. And and the gospel is concerned with the whole person. And in our new series, which I'll explain in a minute, um, we're going to be concerned with... uh, The whole person. But let's just take a minute and and pray um, this morning and remember some of these important truths. Um, God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for being the inspiration of people like Martin Luther King Jr., for shaping his thoughts and actions with biblical truths that then ended up shaping so many people's lives, even people who wouldn't say that they they, um, were connected to the Christian faith, but Um, His example, inspired by you, um, had that tremendous impact. And we're reminded uh, of how our faith can uh, motivate us to do the best things. And so for every one of us in this room, what is the best thing that you're motivating us to do through our relationship with you? We want to be faithful to that call and to serve you in that way. We pray for our country uh, this inauguration week as well. We know the tensions are so high, and so we ask that you would help us to be your people. Um, that means you've called us to be peacemakers. You've called us to be grace dispensers and truth tellers at the same time, and lovers of our neighbors. You've, you've asked us to be salt amidst the decay of this, the, the world around us, which is always happening in every age and every season and to be light amidst the darkness of our world. Um, And because of you, Jesus, we are forever a hopeful people, a people of hope, and so help us to to live into that truth uh, in this season as we do in every season um, to be your people. May the gospel burn brightly in us now and going forward. And we pray, too, for this series where we're going to be looking at how our faith shapes the way that we think about our work. God, would you meet us in these studies in the scriptures over these next few weeks? Help us to care for the whole person. So often we, we separate what we do here on a Sunday morning from what happens on a Monday morning and a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Thursday. And we don't want that. We want to be integrated people whose faith speaks into their work life and every other area of life. So help us this morning and in these coming weeks to dig deep and to be honest and to be courageous and to think um, uh, well about um, your plan for our lives and our work lives in particular. So teach us, we pray. And we're grateful to have confidence that you will do that because of your, your good scriptures. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been around this church for a little while, you're familiar with uh, the Avodah Ministry, which is our faith and work ministry. Uh, it's been in existence for a couple of years, and we have received a few different grants to be able to get this going. And um, we've had the help of Dr. David Gill in much of it in the direction, who retired recently from Gordon-Conwell Uh, as the uh, faith and work professor there. Um, But we've also had the help uh, of Andrew Franklin, who um, is not with us and left kind of a gap here with faith and work. And, And Pastor Brent and I have been talking about this particular need and felt strongly we needed to circle back around and do some more teaching in the subject of faith and work because it's so critical for our discipleship. And so over these next three weeks, we want to be fortifying your understanding of how it is that your faith is related to and integrated with your work. And this morning, we're going to start by looking at this word, Avodah. This is the Avodah ministry, and we thought really important for us to understand what, in fact, the word Avodah means. It's a Hebrew word that means uh, work and worship, and sometimes it's translated as service. It can mean all of those things. And it forces us to grapple with the relationship between uh, our work life and our faith. Because the word itself contains sort of a combination of those two right at the heart of it. So what I'd like to do is trace this word through some of the scriptures and see how God is working in the area of faith and work um, as we understand his original intention for us as human beings. So would you open with me to Genesis 2, chapter 4, Genesis 2, chapter 4. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll pass one to you. Um, love for you to be able to see the actual texts and dig into the words of Scripture. Um, that will be important. Genesis 2, verse 4. And it's on page 1, easy enough to find, in that particular Bible that we hand out. What we're going to do is trace through uh, the Scriptures this, the use of this word, Avodah. And from that, glean a deeper understanding of how our faith relates to to our work, and I've got a couple of questions for you this morning. The first one is, "What is work?" And um, we're going to answer that by looking at this word, as I've said, avodah. The first thing that we see in the scripture is that work is part of God's good creation. Work is part of God's good creation. This, those of you who get up on Monday morning and you just feel lo- loathing about what you have to do, this may be a new thing for you. Um, you maybe have thought all your life that that all work is is just the result of the fall, right? But that's not actually true. If we look in uh, the beginning of Genesis in chapter 2, we're going to see that God made us and He designed us to be people who, who, who create things, who sustain things, who redeem things, who, who work in this world. We see in chapter 2, verse 4, uh, sort of the beginnings of this idea. It uh, says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work. That's that word, avod, to work, the verb form, the ground. So right at the very beginning, it was God's intention that there would be human beings in the garden to work the ground. And this was before the fall. And if you look down in verse 15, you'll see this reiterated. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So, so part of the way God designed us was the including, to include work in our lives. To, to spend our days, in this case, working with the ground. Um, but we know that, that being stewards of creation and working with the ground results in all different other ways for us to be involved in work. And that was God's intention for us. From the very beginning. And it was good. Work is not just a result of the fall. It goes all the way back to God's good creation. But we do see that like everything else, work was tainted by the fall. And we don't have to look far to see that. After Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, turning away from God's command on their lives, choosing to do what they selfishly wanted to do instead of what God had commanded them to do, uh, a series of repercussions follow. And one of them is in chapter 3, verse 17. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the true tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now that's, that's bad because the ground is cursed, but it's better than it could have been because God didn't curse Adam himself, nor did he cur- curse Eve um, herself. He, he cursed the ground in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles uh, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. And so this thing that they were to do in the garden, this work that they were to do, suddenly becomes much more difficult because as they, they go about uh, their efforts produce thorns and thistles uh, when they would've, it would have been easier. Um, For them previously. And if you look over in chapter 4 verse 12. You can see uh, another articulation of the same point. When you work. That's that word. Although the ground. It shall no longer yield to you its strength. Isn't that the way it feels sometimes? That it just. For the amount of effort you're putting into it. It sure seems like there's just a little bit coming back. Because the ground is no longer yielding its strength like it would or could or should have or did in God's original created order. And so we see that the fall has marred work itself, has tarnished it, has made it less than what it originally was, made it more difficult. And not only has the fall affected the the physical element, but it's also affected the relationships. So, So the relationships of people that are marred by the fall and the entrance of sin that now begins to have an effect on work itself. And so work can become oppressive and there can become there can be injustice between people and people abusing people and we see this nowhere more powerfully than in the book of Exodus. So if you would turn to the right to the book of Exodus chapter 1, we'll see again this same word how is it's tainted by the fall. Now, a, We've, we've skipped a whole portion of the book of Genesis, and I encourage you to, to read it, but let me tell you what it says. Uh, basically, um, God calls a people, and those people begin to grow, but they get in trouble because there's a drought. And through a unique series of circumstances, God brings that people that He's chosen, through whom to bless all nations. He brings them to Egypt so that they can be sustained and supported in Egypt where there's food. And He does it through a remarkable series of circumstances that you must read but we can't this morning. Uh, and, and then they, they're in Egypt, and they, they grow as a people, and the leadership in Egypt changes and turns on them because they're becoming threatening to them. And they begin to enslave the people of Israel. And that's where we pick up the next part of the story in the beginning of the book of Exodus, verse 13, talking about the Egyptians. Egyptians. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work. That's that same word, abod. As slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service, Avodah, in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work, Avodah, in the field. In all their work, Avodah, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So you see, oppression has entered in and altered the nature of the work itself. And this is going to strike very very much at the core of who the people of God were intended to be. And we're going to see that because God sees their their oppression. He sees the hardness of what they're doing and the, the difficulty of it. And he intervenes. He intervenes by sending Moses, who will go and speak to Pharaoh and call for the release of the people of God so that they can go out and Avodah, God. They can serve God. They can worship God. So Moses enters in to, to call for the release of the people from their hard Avodah, their slavery, so they can be released for their, their, their worship Avodah of God. If you turn over to chapter 4, I'll read to you where it first says it. But it says many, many times throughout the book of Exodus, all this let my people go language so that they can serve me. That's the word Avodah. But in chapter 4, verse 23, um, God says, to, to, verse 22, excuse me, then you shall say to Pharaoh, he's saying to Moses, Moses, you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel's my firstborn, and I say to you, let my son go, Israel's referred to as, as God's son, that he may serve, that's that word, avod me. So this is all wrapped together. Their, their, their service is, is tainted and, and fallen and broken, and God is going to intervene and bring redeem. The word redeem just means to take it back, right? From somebody who has it captive. And so God's going to redeem. He's going to take it back and bring it under his reign and his rule. And that starts to happen right away in Exodus 20 when God gives the laws. These people have been working 24-7 with very little to work with. And they're they're, 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 they're being beaten and they've got to make these bricks. And then even after a while they take away some of the resources so they have to work harder to make these bricks. And it's oppressive and there's no end to it. It's merciless. And God intervenes. And the, one of the Ten Commandments says this, which is, which is a grace for workers. Verse 8 in chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, guess what word that is, avod, and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord God, excuse me, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So now he's putting some guidelines around our work, whereas it was oppressive and uh, merciless. And God says, no, there's going to be a day of rest. And so he's beginning to redeem what has been lost. But it goes much deeper than that, because the real problem is not just having the right rules. The real problem is having the right person at the center of it all. And back in the Garden of Eden at the fall, what was really happening there was that Adam and Eve were placing themselves and their selfish desires at the center of life and moving God to the margins, And what God tends to do intends to do as he redeems his people is to bring himself back into the center. And that's going to change everything and it's going to change work. And that's what the tabernacle is. So associated with this whole season is the tabernacle, which just means the presence of God. And it will be for the people of God in this new community that he's establishing through the Ten Commandments and pulling the people out of Egypt and giving them a space, establishing this new community. And the tabernacle is at the center. And now everything that they do is going to be in the shadow Of the tabernacle. And it's all going to take meaning and shape and form according to the presence of God at the very center of the community. Back in the garden, um, God was at the center and all of creation was declaring the glory of God. That's what creation is for, to declare God's glory. We, We studied that last week when Pastor Brent preached from Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Even working the soil. Working the soil is materially participating in the declaring of God's glory that the creation is already doing. It's a way for humans to be involved in that that very declaration of God's glory and majesty. But when God was marginalized, that that was corrupted. And in this new community, it's being brought back to the center so that work can become worshipful again. So that it can be understood for what it really was intended to be. So that when we look through the rest, and I'm not going to read all the scriptures, but when we look through, we see that if you bring your sacrifice to to the tabernacle and offer sacrifice, that's your avodah, that's your work, that's your service to God. It's your worship. It's all the same. It's tied together. If you sing in the choir, that's your avodah. You sing in worship to God. It's your service. It's the same thing. If you celebrate Passover, which is a worshipful celebration, that's your avodah. That's your service to God to God. But not only is it in those very tangible ways, it's also spiritual, tangibly spiritual things. It's also in what we would consider to be oftentimes the more mundane things. If you work in the field, that's your avodah. If you make fine linen, it says, that's your avodah. So the two are brought back together the way God originally intended it to be, that our work is part of our worship. Of God, Um, the the words are used interchangeably. The word is used interchangeably in that way. So when we create, or we care for, or we fix, or we participate in God's creation, we're participating in the declaration of God's glory that His created world is making twenty four seven. People have tapped into this before. Like, you know, it's been quoted many, many times and I'm going to quote it again because you can't have a sermon like this without quoting Eric Little, the runner you know, from the 1924 Olympics who was the subject of Chariots of Fire, right? You, I, when I run I feel God's pleasure right? Doing the thing that God made me to do connects me to who, who, His majesty in creation and leads me to worship, Okay? So this is, what, this, is what, this is what God intends for us to understand about our work is that our work is part of our worship of Him. Now, why does this matter? My second question. Why does it matter? And there are three, probably many, many implications, but three that I want to point out. First of all, this matters because it means that your work is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. The pre-fall story reminds us that work is good. Now, that's hard for some of us who get up on a Monday morning and we hate our jobs, right? We'll talk about that in a little bit. But we should, we should cover over all of that concern with a reminder of gratitude. That work is a gift from God. And to be celebrated and to be received with thanksgiving. And some it's very easy for us to slip into a kind of a bitterness and a negativity, and for some of us, what we just need to do is be reminded of the gift that we've been given and to exercise the discipline of gratitude in relation to our work. It feels good to produce something. We're made to do that, to, to help, to fix something that's broken. It's, a, it's part of our God-given design. So if you're a young person, you need to be challenged to think carefully about what you're going to do in your life for your work. And you've got a whole community of people, some of whom have been working for many years in all different kinds of fields in this church. And wouldn't it be great if we could help our young people figure out what God is calling them to do for their work? A while back, we did this thing, bring your pastor to work, and I would go to people's workplace, and it was great. I still want to do it, so, like, Send me an email. I will come and buy you lunch and see where you work. Um, really, it's, it's really wonderful because it helps me get, understand more. I mean, when I'm preaching, it helps me understand what people are dealing with on their day-to-day basis. Um, I get lots of illustrations from it usually. Um, I promise to be nice if I come to your office. Um, I won't walk in with a big Baptist Bible and start preaching at everybody. Um, But what if we also did this with some of our young people? We said, hey, you're not sure if you want to do this? Why don't you come and spend a day with me and see what it really means to be an engineer or what it really means to be a nurse or whatever it is and give people the opportunity to see uh, beforehand what this is like. We We could bless our young people so much in doing this. Like I said before, if you're working, be grateful. Have an attitude of this is, your work is good, is a good gift. That means we've got to think carefully about it. We've got to be grateful for the work that we have. And it also says something to those of us who are struggling with work, who are underemployed or unemployed. It means that as a community, we need to rally around you and pray for you and sometimes network for you and help you get into work because um, this is part of God's design for you. And as a community, we need to recognize that reality. And come alongside and, and help you. At the very least, um, and maybe this is the biggest thing we can do, to sit with you in prayer and pray. You know, maybe you've you've been you've been separating this part of your life and thinking that God doesn't care about it. He does. And we as the community wanna wanna pray for you and then and, and help you. And I, it's funny, the first service I was looking around and I thought as I was preaching, I said, oh yeah, that person got that person a job. And then it just happened to me again. Right now, I'm not gonna tell you who, but it just happened to me again that happens in this church where we know um, somebody who knows somebody and, and, and we can help each other in that way. That's part of what it means to be the body. And, and it helps us um, recognize the reality that we are made, we are designed to, to be contributing in this way. So your work is a good gift. The second one is your work is worship. And we've talked about this already. The created world is declaring the glory of God. And when we enter into the created world to exercise stewardship, we are participating in that in a tangible way. Uh, And so we make things and we materially participate in in God's created world, which is a signpost of his greatness and his glory and his wonder. Um, And this is true for all work. This is a very important point. This is true for all kinds of work. And one of the ways that we stand as a community as a countersign against the culture is by affirming all the different kinds of work that people are doing in a world that's so performance-based where we're always fixated on who has the best title, who makes the most money, you know, who's the most well-known, all these kinds of things. It's really easy to attach greater value to a person because of what they do. But the gospel doesn't teach that. The gospel teaches that each person is infinitely valuable because both God created them in his image and then redeemed through Jesus Christ. So it's not a value thing about the person. So we can can be free to value all different kinds of work. And so as a community, we need to practice this, I think, better and more fully. To appreciate the work that's maybe not so well-known. To elevate it and and to honor the people who are doing the things that maybe um, aren't as well-known or or, or in our world not as honored uh, as they could be. And so um, this is a very white-collar church. Just call that out. Um, in many respects. And I remember in the early days, we actually had some people who left because they felt uncomfortable because they were doing jobs that would be categorized as more blue-collar and felt uncomfortable because they felt out of sync and out of step with the people in the congregation. Now that shouldn't happen, right? We should be going overboard to affirm each person's work and to call it out and honor it as God enables us to do so. Um, This could be the same for, uh, you know, people doing blue-collar type of jobs or people who are staying at home, whether it be stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home dads, um, to affirm that as actual genuine work that needs to be done. Sometimes we don't affirm that. Um, And I think of uh, what Martin Luther King Jr. said. um, Again, just to bring uh, in honor of tomorrow, he said this about... um, people's work in this light. He said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted, or Beethoven composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. What a countersign to our world, right? This is what we're called to in the gospel, to honor each person for what they bring. So that's number two. Your work is worship. And then number three, there is is hope for your work. And some of you, when we're talking about the the Israelites in Egypt and, you know, the bricks and the slavery and the oppression, and you're just raising your hand saying, yeah, that's me right now. Well, maybe not literally, but I feel like that, right? I feel there's injustice in my workplace. There's oppression I feel pressed in upon on all sides. I feel like I'm trying to make too much without enough, just like the Israelites had to make all these bricks without enough materials and resources. I can't do it all. The weight is crushing me. I hate my job. And what you need is a Moses moment. You need, Moses, you need that moment where God intervenes and says, let me redeem this broken circumstance for you. And some of us, because we have failed, and I think as pastors we've failed to do a good job of helping people in their discipleship integrate their faith and their work. And the result of that sometimes is that we don't think to ask God to help us in our workplaces. And we just suffer on. We say, well, this doesn't have any bearing on the kingdom anyway, so I'll just suffer along. And we don't pray. And we don't invite others to pray for us. And we don't try to figure out, you know, using the scriptures, what should I be doing differently? You know, what does God have to say in his wisdom to help me in this particular circumstance? And for those of us who are feeling that this morning, you need this Moses moment. What I I mean by that is the moment when God intervenes. And maybe this morning could be that moment for you. When, God, when you open your heart and you say, God, I need your help with respect to my work because it's a mess and I can't handle it and I hate it, would you come in and intervene? Would you come in and redeem, take back what seems to have been taken away from me? And in all of this, I'm so reminded of God's work for us. When we talk about God's power to redeem broken things, lost things, captivated things. When we talk about God, we have to eventually get to the cross because this is where God demonstrated in His work. This is crazy because it's the same word. Isaiah 42 says, Behold, my servant, the same root, evod. It's the same root of avod and avodah. Whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And if you fast forward Isaiah to Isaiah 53, where you have the suffering servant, which is clearly a picture of what would happen in the New Testament when the Messiah would go to the cross and offer himself an atoning sacrifice. That word servant is the same word. In other words, God's work is to redeem us. That's his work. And He's done it so that the redemption of all things could begin to take place, including our work and the brokenness and the oppression and the injustice and the suffering that's there. Now, is it going to all be redeemed before Jesus returns? No. But can we have hope that God could intervene and make it better and address the problems and give us His wisdom And by his spirit, empower us to do things that we couldn't otherwise do. Does he care about it? Yes, 100%. So open your hearts today to the Lord and say, help me in. I need you, Lord. Help me in my work. God, would you meet us in our work this morning? You are the redeemer. You take what has been taken away and held captive and you you wrench it back into your own ownership. Redeem our work. Remind us of the work that you have done in the person of Jesus Christ to seek our forgiveness through your atoning sacrifice on the cross. What a beautiful... There was no work like that work. There never will be. and never could be. And we praise you for it. This morning, if you're here with us and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, what the Bible teaches is that the way to respond to what Jesus did on the cross is to respond in faith, to put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. To let Him be your leader and to acknowledge that He's the only one who could save you from your sin and reconcile you to your Maker so that you can get God back in the center of your life, so that work which maybe is your idol right now, can take its proper place in your life. So the problems of work, the challenges of work, can be addressed because now God is at the center of your life. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, today is the day to do that. If you've forgotten your faith in Jesus Christ, today is the day to be reminded. To open your heart. To bring all of your work and all of its messiness to the Lord and to seek his wisdom, to seek his intervention, because he loves you and he is a redeemer of all things. Thank you, Jesus, for meeting us, we pray. In your name, amen.